Welcome to the Curious and Connected podcast, where we're hoping to connect students in our EDD program and beyond to foster a sense of community. My name is Leah, and I'm joined by my co-host. Monica here. Kella. And today, our special guest is Chris Anches. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yes, our first question for you is, we just want to hear about you, whatever comes to mind. So um, work, education, personal, whatever you'd like to share. Absolutely. And first, thank you all for the invite. Um, I think this is a great idea and I really appreciate uh, the forethought. And it's great to hear all of our uh, classmates' stories. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, for me, I, I currently work at Ohio State. Um, I am new to higher education. I got uh, hired on in March. I'm an operations manager in student life. Um, and I guess prior to that, I spent about 10, 10 years in K-12. Um, I think it's somewhat interesting because I had no desire to go into education. Um, I think I kind of, you know, like many people, you know, entered a a program in undergrad, didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then life happened and you, you know, you find yourself, you know, 10 plus years later, uh, doing something you never thought you would. So I actually have an undergraduate in modern Greek. Um, I went to Ohio State University. Um, I was a pre, pre-med, pre-med, a pre-vet student. Uh, so I did a bunch of sciences. I was actually a teaching assistant in the Department of Anatomy for a while. I worked in a microbiology lab. Uh, so very science oriented. And I met this professor, uh, who I don't think he'd mind if I said his name, Dr. Christopher Brown, um, who is one of the, to this day, one of the smartest people I've met in my life. And he was uh, a professor in the modern Greek department, uh, but he knew like everything uh, about everything. I felt like at the time, I'm like, oh man, this guy is exactly what I want to be. You know, I want to be as smart as him. Um, and uh, so I just kind of followed him. I got, became a modern Greek major. I went through that, that program. And afterward, I didn't really know what I was gonna do. I thought about going to seminary. Um, uh, so Greeks, a lot of Greek people are Greek Orthodox. Um, I thought about doing that route and I decided against it. And I ended up going to a master's program at Ohio State for uh, Southeastern European studies. I was studying the Balkans. I was learning to speak, you know, Serbian, Croatian. Um, and about a year into that program, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I don't really see the, the purpose of this. Um, it was super interesting. Um, a lot of cool people I met, but I just, I stopped. And um, I got a job at a local charter school as a therapeutic martial arts instructor. So I was a lifelong martial artist. The, the person who I was trained under in Columbus used to work for this uh, organization. Uh, and so I, I got a job and I was a therapeutic martial arts instructor. I worked with high school students. And then I also worked uh, with students who were in residential treatment. So at the time, the school I was working with had a partnership with this residential treatment um, center for adolescents. So it was a, a center for boys. At the time, they had around 30, 30 beds, so 30 students. Um, it was for students with problematic sexual behaviors. Um, but because the school was providing education, that also meant they needed a therapeutic martial arts instructor there because that was part of the, that was one of the pillars of the school. And I did that and I, I love the population. I love working with that group. Um, and so that portion of the school started to grow and I became a, what was called a program manager, um, at other locations, I actually had a psychiatric hospital. I was a program manager. So I oversaw the education, 
um, program there, which is kind of crazy because I don't didn't know anything about education. I had no idea how teachers taught. I had nothing, you know, no pedagogical uh, background at all. But somehow I was like a program manager, and I did that for a long time. So I did that for uh, I guess not that long. It was about five years, but it seemed like an eternity at the time. Um, and what happened was my group, my kind of like core leadership team, decided that the organization that we were working with maybe wasn't the right fit for this population. We felt that perhaps um, they were overlooking some key aspects of how to work with this population. So we left and uh, we actually started our own school. Uh, the school is called Western Prep Academy. It is still in existence. So I was a founding member there. Um, we wrote the ed plan, we wrote the charter, we got approved by the state and we got to work. Um, and I was the director of that school from 2016 to 2021. Um, until I left and went to higher education. Uh, so yeah, I guess a little background about me. That's like amazing. It. So what would you say your pedagogical approach is now? It's, it's interesting because I, I, when I was a director, I was actually a principal. And then for a second there, I was also the superintendent of the school. I always surrounded myself with people who were... Uh, really talented teachers and teaching in residential is different because you're you generally, you know, you have 30 students in a building, which means you can't bring an entire K-12 school, K-12 staff to that building, right? Um, so I always relied on people who are smarter than me when it came to teaching to actually tell people how to teach. Um, I always focused more on what can we do uh, in a cross-curricular style because we know we don't have these kids for six hours a day. They have to go to treatment. They have a variety of other things. So I was always about, well, can we you know, do a lot of project-based learning? Can we do cross-curricular activities? You know, when they're young, if anything, we should increase their literacy because that's gonna be a huge deterrent. Um, definitely literacy and mathematics were a huge focus of ours. Most students who are, you know, uh, in K-12, that's where they struggle the most. So that's where we focused on. So I don't know if I necessarily had an approach, but I'm like, we got to focus on this. We have to do cross-curricular stuff and we have to flex as much credits as possible because there's a great up, there's a great chance that when students leave us, especially if they're in high school, they're going to drop out. So let's get as much as we can while they're with us. Oh my goodness. I feel like you just passed along a good leadership lesson for us all too. It's about who you surround yourself with too, and who, yes. you know, has the experience to advise you um, on something you might not have experienced yourself. So, yep. Love that. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm also wondering what therapeutic martial arts looks like in the classroom and how you um, integrated that into the pedagogy for the school. Yeah. So uh, therapeutic martial arts, um, uh, is interesting because when you, especially in residential treatment, you know, a lot of students end up in residential treatment, not, not for good things, right? Uh, their life didn't go uh, in a positive way for them to end there. So either something traumatic happened, uh, usually something traumatic happened, um, or they're court ordered to be there for whatever reason. And so when you actually have a discussion with, you know, the clinical director or the CEO or whoever's running that place, like, hey, we want to do therapeutic martial arts, they're like, well, you're going to train these kids how to how to fight uh, and quote unquote, be better criminals. I heard that a lot. And at the end of the day, what therapeutic martial arts was is, yeah, it's martial arts. Yeah, it's, it's very traditional based style. Um, the school I worked at, 
used a, a Klonic, Klonicon style, which is a mixture of different Japanese martial arts. But at the end of the day, you can use whatever you want. And the concept was twofold. One, if you can teach students how to physically do something, it doesn't have to be martial arts. It could be dance. It could be, uh, it could be art. It could be whatever. But if you can show them to physically manifest something, and that requires them to then look at themselves or look how they're doing a technique and physically change that, then hopefully they can internally change maybe in an emotional uh, status. Maybe if they're having a bad day and they're, they're breaking down, they can use the same skills, right, from analyzing their own physical state to their emotional state. And I don't know if we would consider that a close or a far transfer. I'd like to think it's a close transfer. Um, but that was the idea. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, a lot of these kids, they didn't have a whole lot of wins in their life. And traditional martial arts has a hierarchy, right? You start at whatever belt, you get to whatever belt. And so if they master a certain amount of content and you actually are able to award them the next rank, it's huge. It is huge for their uh, self-confidence. And I, I really do think that aided quite a bit in their, not only in their academics, but also in their treatment plans as well. Yeah, I also love that just from the physical therapy standpoint of like, you got to get people moving because it helps with endorphins, it makes your brain work better. We always say like motion is the lotion, <laughs> not just for your joints, but for your brain. So I love that you paired something that helps them get those wins and mm. helps them even in their learning, even if they haven't thought about that connection before. Absolutely. Great. Well, this has all been very fascinating. I guess before we um, get too far down, just one particular topic, maybe we should um, broaden things a little bit here. So our next question is, um, Chris, what do you do to maintain balance in your life, you know, between work, school, everything else you have on your plate? I would say that this program has taught me the, uh, the benefit of having a schedule, like scheduling things out, like Sure, like during the work day, yeah, I have a schedule. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Or on the weekends, like I have X, Y, and Z to do. But this is very much by the book. I'm going to devote this amount of time to this. And I also do that with you know personal stuff. So uh, I definitely schedule in when I'm when I'm going to work on something. Um, but the times that I'm not working on something, I hang out with my wife uh, quite a bit. I think she she grounds me very well. Uh, and I would actually say that she's probably the reason why I'm in this program. She's the one who encouraged me to do it. I was semi-apprehensive semi uh, before accepting. Um, I have two dogs who I love dearly. I have Bubs, who's an 80-pound lab mix, and I have Winston, who's 12 pounds, and he's the angel of death. He's adorable, but he just brings in everything he can kill. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then I... I I also work out quite a bit. Uh, you know, I did martial arts obviously for a long time. I was a, an amateur power lifter and now I'm training for a half marathon. So it's just stuff I enjoy. That's awesome. What's your, uh, what's your half marathon pace? What's your, what are you shooting for? If I could, I'm a slow runner. So I ran 10 miles yesterday at a 1050 pace. That's so if great. I could keep, if I could keep that pace, uh, maybe get like 1045 for the full half marathon, <laughs> I, that, 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 that would be fun. Hey, you're faster than everybody else still on the couch. <laughs> yep. That's, that's true. <laughs> well, I'm super interested in all the things you've said so far. I'm also really interested about a topic that's spoken to you in our course content so far. So anything that you're thinking about? Uh, I think a lot of people might have this um, answer, but I think sense-making is super interesting. Um, and I think it's super interesting because we've all experienced 
I would guess. We've all experienced it, but it puts a uh, it puts a, a word to something that we all seen, right? It gives us some common vocabulary. Um, and I think at the end of the day, being sense making is probably one of the integral parts of leadership, right? So being able to make sense of situation, which also ties into framing situations. Um, I think leadership is definitely not the leader solving the problem. It's the leader uh, facilitating a conversation amongst a group of people to solve a problem, right? I think Einstein had a quote that I'm gonna butcher it, but it's like about an hour to solve a problem. I would spend 55 minutes identifying the problem and then five minutes of the solution. And to a certain degree, I think that ties to sense-making because you first have to frame the problem, right? And then when you frame the problem, um, then you can go about a solution. And part of framing the problem, getting about a solution is making sense of the problem, right? So I think that's you know, very pertinent to leadership. That's awesome. And it's so funny because I think the main goal, like why we started this podcast is to connect people like in our program, but I think it's also served as a space that we can share for sense making. And I mean, we're talking about some course concepts. We're talking about like our lives and applying, you know, what we're doing because we have this shared experience of being in this program together, but we all come from such different places, both like geographically, you know, our jobs, all of that stuff. Um, so I think that's been a super cool, like sense making has been top of mind for me throughout this whole thing, because I think it like this has kind of served as a space to do that. So yeah, love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I think we may end um, with our wrap-up question. So uh, what does leadership mean to you? Or what does your ideal leader look like? We love to end with a leadership-focused question. Yeah. Um, I think ideal, like having like what's the ideal leader uh, is difficult because the more I kind of get into the coursework, and the more I think about it, you know, it's, you know, leadership, I think is very emergent, right? Which is a discussion that I know Dr. Rifkin uh, definitely pushed in that leadership course. And I know uh, for everybody who had her, um, but, you know, the, the skills really go back to, I think what I said about sense making is that you have to be able to identify a problem and the best leaders I've worked with were able to identify what the problem was and then explain that. And they didn't solve the problem they didn't have all the answers, um, but they definitely were saying like, no, this is what we're talking about. And if when people went, you know, side this way or side that way, uh, they were to bring it back. So I think being able to identify and then communicate effectively is definitely at the, the center of what good leadership is. And that is universal, right? So you can be in any situation and you're going to have to have those two skill sets. Um, so, yeah, those two things right there. Yeah, I love that. I also just want to sneak in here because I know you're um, a master barbecuer uh, based upon the the barbecue that you share in the group chat. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say about that with sense making? If somebody is trying to be a master barbecuer. <laughs> um, so good barbecue takes time, right? And what you want to focus on is um, good barbecue is like, the less you can do with it, like the less you have to mess with it, the better in my opinion. And when you do that, means you have to have fairly high quality ingredients, um, which means you have to have fairly high quality meat when you're doing that. And when you smoke something, generally speaking, the, the lower you can do and the longer you do it is better. There's some play there because you don't want it to be too dry, um, but high quality ingredients 
And if you can, this is going to be people who are true barbecue folks are going to hate me for saying this. If you could get an electric smoker, like a Traeger or um, whatever, something that's going to do you do the work for you, mm-hmm. all the better. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're basically going to be beside that thing for 12 hours, and it's going to take, uh, it's going to consume your life, and you're going to mess it up because it's very hard to get good at that. Um, so for amateur people, definitely get an electric smoker. Um, if you're doing like a whole animal situation, I highly encourage you not to do it by yourself. Uh, at Easter two years ago, I did an entire lamb by myself and I was calling my brother probably every five minutes because I had to like negotiate a problem. Like, all right, well, <laughs> it's, it's too much fat rendering here. There's a lot of fire. What should I do? It was a nightmare. So uh, if you're going to do a whole animal, uh, by all means, do it with a group. Oh, that's funny. Well, thank you for ending on a controversy here for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Electric smoker. Oh my yeah. gosh. This is hilarious to me because I just connected in my head from the beginning of this podcast when we were talking about your role as like a superintendent principal surrounding yourself with experts and people to help you. You just brought it back to barbecue. The same kind of thing. Calling your brother and having people help. I oh, mean, man. look at those connections. I love it. <laughs> Listen, it- it's all about the, the company you keep. Uh-huh, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. I have to say, you and I have had almost every class together thus far, but I learned so many new things about you today. <laughs> so this is awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> and to our listeners, we hope you will join us for our next episode of Curious and Connected.